everyone. Welcome to the conclusion of our series, When You're Lost. Today, we're going to be ending a year uh, as a church of being online because of this pandemic by hearing uh, really a difficult but also inspiring story of the impact that COVID-19 has had on people and families. And I realize it has impacted many of our attenders as well. Um, listen, a virus isn't political. It impacts um, people <laughs> for real. Right, and as uh, many of um, our, our attenders have experienced by losing family or loved ones, um, th this is something that uh, has 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 taken a toll on us as a community. Um, and specifically today, you're going to hear the story of Jeff and Lisa. And um, I met uh, Jeff and Lisa years ago when Jeff uh, was the pastor at the Presbyterian Church in Fort Dodge, Iowa, uh, which is where I grew up. Uh, they have since moved out of Iowa, and, and Jeff is no longer uh, in um, full-time pastoral ministry. Uh, but regardless, uh, they had a very uh, difficult um, running with COVID-19. This past fall, I saw and heard about uh, on social media, Lisa's battle um, with this disease. Um, and many times after reading an update from Jeff, I would uh, pray because literally at that time for all of us, um, that is all that could be done. Um, her survival is honestly a bit of a miracle uh, to say the least. Uh, it, in um, uh, part of her, and this is in part, I think, why her story has been shared on places like Good Morning America, People Magazine, and and others. And they were kind enough to sit down uh, for another conversation. I think this is like interview 30 or something for them over Zoom with me. And um, and I just wanted you to hear how they found direction in the deserts of life, in the season of life where things were really difficult, and they simply just felt lost. Well, Jeff, Lisa, thank you so much for taking time to talk uh, about your story. And uh, just to um, start off, if you would, briefly introduce yourselves, where are you from, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then we'll go from there. Well, I'm Lisa Martin, and uh, we live in South Georgia. And I'm the mom of four adult children. And I'm also an educator. I mean, I have not, I haven't, I didn't work this year, um, obviously, but and it, um, being an educator is one of the things that is part of me. Awesome. Jeff? Uh, so I, uh, we were raised in the same hometown, mm -hmm. high school sweetheart. Was, okay, so we, uh, I was a senior, she was a freshman, and, um, and her mom was my third grade teacher. And so, you know, we, we've known each other a long time. And um, so used to be a Presbyterian minister and now am a businessman am married to this awesome woman mm -hmm. and am very thankful for all the good things that God has done. So that's who I am. And we'll have our 30th wedding anniversary in December. So um, if we could just start off um, when the pandemic began, um, how did the two of you, uh, you know, view COVID and view the pandemic um, up until you actually had and got COVID? How did you look at the, the situation going on? First, you need to know that I'm type A and Jeff's the opposite. And so, therefore, 
when the pandemic started and the economy started to tank, um, we have a family owned business and um, for a while, Jeff's employees did not work at the office. And so Jeff said to my daughter Harper Lee and to myself, he said we, that we had to go help him run the business. And um, that was very difficult for us because we clashed quite a bit and I'm a worrier. So um, I was that type A person who made sure that everybody had not just one mask, but several masks. I made sure every one of our family members had um, Germex. I was that person who bought all the toilet paper and Germex from Amazon before other people were out of it. So I was all prepared. I, I was the one who quarantined and everything. You tell them about you. I thought it was all a bunch of bunk. Uh, the folks that I knew that had gotten it, they were sick for maybe like two or three days. I said, this thing is so hyped up, it's ridiculous. And there's like a 99% survival rate if you get it. So why are you so worried about it? Don't, don't let yourself just get all skewed and torn up about it. And of course, then Jeff Rowe got it and I brought it home. There were three of us who came down with it in my office simultaneously. And, uh, and then I brought it home to Lisa as best we can figure because she, she went nowhere. I was the one freewheeling and kind of getting out there in it. So um, we both came down with it uh, September the 18th is when we both really um, felt those, those early pains of, of the virus. And then it went from there. So we went and got tested and he tested positive and I tested negative. And my daughter tested negative, but the night that I tested negative, it was a Friday that night I started running a fever. And even though it was low grade at the time, I don't usually get sick. And um, I, I knew if I had any fever at all that I was sick. So w when did you start to think that, you know, this may be more serious? So around day seven or eight, my fever was like up to 103 and a half. And it was that miserable fever and chills feeling that you get where you're just so miserable. I even went swimming in our pool that's just freezing, trying to break the fever, but I just couldn't ever get it to break. So you went swimming the end of so September, September in your pool because you were just so hot. Yes, with the fever, burning with fever. Then that Saturday, I got into the shower. It was the only place I could get relief. And I remember beating on the walls of the shower and yelling for Jeff. I wanted him to come in there and get me and take me to the hospital. I didn't know he was asleep in the you know in, the, in his room or the room he was sleeping in. So finally, when I saw him, I said, "I've got to get to the hospital," and he was like, "No, you don't. know, you know, it's going to be fine." He goes, "But if you are still sick in the morning with this fever, 
which would have been, you know, Sunday, um, I'll take you. And so I woke up that morning, told him I had to go. I didn't even, I just did not feel like even going. I wanted an ambulance to come pick me up. I felt that bad. Mm. But he drove me. Turns out me driving her to the hospital instead of getting in the ambulance was helpful because if your hospitals, your local hospitals on diversion, what they call diversion, um, the ambulance can't take you to that hospital. The ambulance has to search for the nearest hospital that can take you. Mm -hmm. And so, but if you find, you drive yourself or have someone drive yourself there to the ER, then at that point, they must take you. They legally, they cannot reject you. So uh, we called ahead and said, hey, look, here's what her temp is. Here's what her, her, uh, her oxygen level is, so on and so forth. Gave them the stats and got her there to the hospital and I wheeled her in and said, hey, we both have COVID. She's really bad. She needs help. And so um, we thought we were maybe going there for a few hours or a day, maybe. So I want to point out, you know, Jeff had called ahead, like you said, and they had a wheelchair waiting on me when I, when we drove up and um, I had really wonderful care. I mean, they put me in that wheelchair. I had to say goodbye to Jeff. They whisked me into a room and I went, now this is a very important thing. I went into that emergency room demanding, now the demanding sounds mean, but I was requesting, I was like, I've got to have the vent. You've got to put me on the vent. I knew nothing about the vent. That had to be God. Um, I had, I knew nothing about the vent. I later found out that only 10 to 20% of people who go on the vent live to come off. Mm -hmm. And so one or two of my nurses who are personal friends, you know, they were saying, Miss Lisa, please don't go on the vent. Please don't go on the vent. I mean, they were begging. They put me on FaceTime with our family um, so that they could talk some sense into me, but um, going on the vent so early, um, one of my doctors said really saved my life. And I was on it for 59 days. So, so you said goodbye and now you're on the vent. And I guess, Jeff, what, what are you and the kids, what are you hoping? What are you thinking? What's your expectations at this point? So, we really didn't know a lot about the vent. None of us did. Yeah. We just thought, okay, this is just a stage in her, in her uh, care to try to help get her through this. And the doctor had actually said to me, he said, Jeff, he says, you know, she's very ill, but I don't think she's deathly ill. So he says, well, you know, I, I think she's going to recover from this initially as he's telling me this. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, so Lisa's on the vent and, you know, she's just going to, it's going to get her better. And so, um, I, I guess it was like maybe October the 5th or 6th. I have to go back to the calendar, but, um, I took my, my, um, my test and, and showed negative for COVID, which allowed me to go to the hospital. And at that point I was able to stand outside of Lisa's ICU room 
uh, during visitation hours and I could see her and, uh, but she was still quarantined and uh, all the medical professionals were having to wear, you know, glove up and mask and shield and everything else just to go in and, and then take all that off and then, you know, go to the next patient's room and do the same thing. So um, I was standing there and I would see her and I was, I was watching her numbers and they were coaching me and explaining to me what each number meant on the monitor and I could see it wasn't good. And I, I was concerned because they were having to give her a lot of oxygen. Um, our brain, when we're just breathing naturally, we're breathing at about 20, 22% oxygen. And she was at 95, 100%. And I was like, that's a lot. And then they were telling me about the force of the air. The, they call it the PEEP, P-E-E-P, PEEP pressure. And I'm not quite sure what those letters stand for, but that's the, that, that's the force of that air coming out of that machine into her lungs. And so they're saying we, we're, we're having to give as high a force as we can which was 12 at the time, they said, we, we, we risk if we go much more than this, that it could actually cause her lungs to leak air into the perineum, which then could cause a lung to collapse. And so they were very, very careful about watching how much she could take and doing lots of x-rays every day, x-rays, trying to see, making sure there was no air that had developed around her lung. Um, so, I can see that uh, that matters were much more uh, serious. Even though I called and would get the updates from the nurses before I came up there, once I got there and I could see, I was like, "Holy smokes, we're in trouble!" I remember standing outside of a room, and one of the uh, uh, administrators of patient care um, came as uh, a friend of ours and came and stood there with me, and she prayed, and I just wept as she prayed for Lisa and for our family. But I mean, I just wept. I, you know, it was, it was hard to see your wife um, in there unconscious and in, in, in a induced coma uh, fighting for her life uh, as best she could. So, um, so on October the 20th, Lisa, um, was that I call that the very bad day. That was the day that uh, we had attempted several times to get her moved to different hospitals. It just would fall through, fall through, fall through. It looked like it would get there and then fall through. And you're moving um, to just get more access to other options? Yeah, well, we're uh, we're in a level two care center here. It's, it's a regional hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they have equipment to be able to, to handle certain things and the training to handle those things. But a level one hospital is, has just got a higher level of equipment and more intensive care that's there. For instance, uh, the in, infectious disease doctor that would uh, tend to Lisa in, in Waycross, our local hospital, uh, did it via you know um, Skype or or medical. You yeah. know, so so you know they'd wheel this this machine in there, and and the doctor would look at everything and then would would diagnose, but because we just didn't have the money or the staff to be able to do that. So, so those, so, but a level one hospital has one permanently there 24 hours. Right. So you can really access a lot better. So we we're trying to get her to a level one because it was obvious that she was not, she was not improving um, uh, close to where we had hoped. And 
so on October 20th, um, she, she had she had had a bad day and, and they would prone her, uh, which is where you lay on your stomach. When you've got COVID, they really do encourage you try to lay on your stomach because it opens up new chambers of your lungs. It helps your lungs to shift a different way in your body and, and you're able to have a different breath there. And so um, kind of capture some more reserve. And so they would have her on her, on her tummy for a while laying prone. And, and that would normally help her get back her oxygen level. And this particular day it didn't, and it, she just wasn't getting better. And so they said, Jeff, we're gonna have to put her back on her back and see if maybe that works. And so whenever they'd shift her, you know, I'd step out of the room because it takes several folks to come in to shift and I'd just be in the way. So I went to the waiting room to take care of, take a call and update somebody. And while I'm there, the, the doctor came in. He said, Jeff, you need to come here. And somewhere during this, I had a stroke in my brain, a cerebral stroke. Mm. So, so um, he says, you need to come. Lisa's not doing well. So um, we walked rapidly back there to her room. And um, when I got in there, Lisa had not opened her eyes at all uh, uh, up until that point. Her eyes were opened and fixed. Um, just the stare, the same stare I saw with my parents when they passed away. And so when I walked into the room and I saw that stare, um, I, I, I just I dropped. I mean, it, I began to cry. I said, her eyes, look at her eyes. She's just, you know, how long has she been like this? Her oxygen level had dropped into the 30s and they had a bag and they were just, they were just doing, doing this bag. I will. Uh, they, were, they were doing the bag as hard as they could to try to bring her, her oxygen level back up. The thing about the brain, um, typically speaking, if your brain gets deprived of oxygen and that oxygen falls below 60% in your body, your brain's not getting what it needs. And typically you can begin to have uh, the brain dying. Uh, Lisa did suffer a stroke. I don't know if it, heard it happened on October 20th, but we definitely know that there was a stroke that had occurred at some point, and it would make sense that it would have been on that day, but uh, they could not get her oxygen to stabilize. It would They would get it up with a bag. The reason why they had to put her on the bag is the vent that we had there at the hospital wasn't strong enough to, to forcefully get her to breathe. If you remember, they were always worried about air pockets around the lung. So they're having now to, to, to just do this uh, uh, bag as fast as they could and get, get that oxygen into her system. And um, I said to them, I said, how long has she been like this? And, and uh, respiration uh, uh, nurse and, and, and an RN looked at each other and just kind of shrugged and said, maybe 15 minutes. And so I just, I got on my knees and I, I, I had her, her uh, right hand on my left and her, her right foot in my right hand. And I just began to cry out to God to please, you know, please keep her here. I, I don't want her to go. I, I mean, give me another chance to be the husband that I should have been all along. Please don't let my, my kids uh, be without their mama. I, 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 will, I want her back. God, please, if you if you will, please. And at this time, 
uh, the the doctor himself, the physician, Doctor Lopez. God bless that man. I love him. Uh, you know, he he was there. He was weeping with me. Um, he was feeling every moment with me in that in, in in that room. And the nurses were were weeping. And we had praise music going. And we're we're doing everything here. And uh, the, I, I looked at the doctor and I said, "Should I call my family and tell them to come?" He said, "I think it's time." And so at that point, um, I backed away and I called her mom and dad and told them to come. And then I called our children and said, of course, I had our text message thing. I said, your, your mom's not doing well. Get here as soon as possible. And I began to call the kids individually. And Harper Lee, I, our business is just you know, 10, 15 miles from the hospital. So you know, she got there the, the first and then the rest of them were able to kind of uh, group in. Madison was in Wyoming, our oldest daughter, so she had to catch a flight to get there. But um, once everybody assembled, uh, Lisa eventually stabilized and, and her blood oxygen got above 70 and they were able to put her back on the ventilator. And then it began to stabilize more from there. But at that point, we didn't know if Lisa was gonna be brain dead. We didn't know if she was mentally intact, how much she would be mentally intact. Right. Uh, then, then we got into the, Lisa's a proud woman. She would not want to live as a vegetable. She, you know, there's, you know, she is very uh, explicit in her direction with her living will, what she expects. And what are we gonna do as a family? And so we had a family meeting at that point to try to determine what to do. And um, long story, uh, kind of wind that part up. Uh, we determined after talking uh, as a round table with Lisa's, fam uh, Lisa's family and then our family, we, we determined, hey, look, um, it's October the 20th. In 11 more days will be October 31st and she will have been on the ventilator for a full month before we look at removing uh, life support uh, per her wishes. Before we do that, let's give, it a, let's give it 11 days and just see possibly, can we, can, can we have Lisa back? You know, can she recover from this? And guess what? I woke up on Jeff's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did. Yeah, never said that. You did. Mm -hmm. well, Which you was? Yeah. Which is October, October 30th. 30th. No, sorry, October 30th. <laughs> yeah. October 30th, that's right. He shouldn't so, think he's not important, should he? Yeah. On his birthday, I woke up. So you're so so really your level, everything kind of stays the same, but then or does it start to kind of get better from that day on? Or what does that look like? What brings us to October 30th? So October 24th, um, she was stable enough to be transported. Every time we try to transport her, the three times previous, she would she would just, her numbers would fall and then I'd put her back in the bed. And so on October 24th, um, the doctor said, look, we're not sure that she would survive the, the trip. We don't know uh, what will happen there uh, between here and Savannah, but we've got a hospital in Savannah that'll take her. And so, um, what do you want to do? I said, you know what, you know, we, we, we've determined that 
we need to get her to a higher level of care and we need to go there and, uh, it's, and see what happens and trust God for it. And so the helicopter came and Lisa was wheeled down. Before the, the, the helicopter arrived, every family member went in there to tell her goodbye because we didn't know if she would survive the helicopter ride. And, uh, and yet she, she made up the helicopter they flew her to Savannah. I drove my car as fast as I could. I got pulled over by a state patrol. I ended up, when I got to Savannah, a delightful and wonderful police officer. He says, what's going on? You know, because, you know, uh, and, and I said, my wife's been lifelighted to the hospital and I'm trying to get there. And he says, hang on. And so he got in front of me and he, I had a police escort into the hospital. I was like, praise the police. Lord. Yes. Well, I mean, the Lord gave the state trooper who allowed me just to roll off and then a, a, a police officer I mean police lives the, mm -hmm. their servants too and and I watched them in their line of duty uh, serve us as well and so I was very very thankful for our police officers and they they got me there and when I when I arrived Lisa was getting hooked up and everything and the doctor um, he says, you know, I'm gonna have to evaluate her. I can't give you an update. I will let you know more in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so I got there that morning on the, the 25th and he said, Lisa's lungs are baked was the term that he used. He says the oxygen that she's received have stiffened her lungs. He says lungs normally are like this, but her lungs can just barely move she's never going to survive with these lungs. She's going to need a lung transplant. And double. so he did a double lung, a lung transplant. And so I said, well, I've got my wife's living will. And I know that that is out of the question for her. And I said, so therefore we're going to have to trust God to heal. He says, well, I can't, you know, I can't do a lot. I'll, we'll do what we can. And so now the says, you do what you can. And we're going to pray and trust God to do what God does. And from there, we began to, I, I, I walked out of that hospital and I put on Facebook, miracle needed. Legitimately, that's what it was, just needed a miracle for Lisa to be able to survive. And, um, and the good news, be careful. Mm -hmm. She's, uh, all right. So, uh, by the way, so she ended up surviving uh, that day, and then uh, that was on a, a a Sunday, I believe. And and then what ended up happening is when when we got to the um, middle of the week, uh, like on a Tuesday. Uh, the doctors switched out. I had a different intensivist that came in and the intensivist said, hey, look, we're, we're not sure she's mentally there. We did a CT scan, as you know, there's obvious spot in her front, right frontal lobe that she's had a stroke and um, she's not responding to pain. Um, and most folks, and she, they, they take a pin and they just press real hard on the nail bed just to try to, to generate pain. And there was no response. And she says, I don't, I, I don't want to give you bad news, but I think that she's not mentally there anymore. 
And so I said, well, my wife would want us to remove life support if that were the case. And so then she says, well, you're brave to do that. I says, well, let me pray about it first and see. And I talked with our family and prayed about it. And when I came back the next day, I said to the lady, I said, you know something? Uh, the nurse, uh, excuse me, the doctor, forgive me. I spoke, I said to the, to the doctor, I said, ma'am, I says, my wife, her, her will matters. I said, but let's get this straight. There's God's will, Lisa's will, and our family's will. And I said, we're, we're a family of faith and we're going to trust God to have the first say in this. And so we're not pulling that plug until until we reach the point where we had determined if, if it was necessary. Our so two, first, right? Yep. So two days later on the 29th, Lisa broke through the sedation, opened her eyes and was tracking me with her eyes. And the nurse who I was talking to at the time, she says, is she, is she tracking you with her eyes? And I said, I don't know. And so then I walked around to the other side of the bed and she followed me with her eyes. And so I would, this was the first chance that we had response from Lisa. Welcome back. Thank you. Okay. Welcome so this was, this was the first chance we had response from her. And so um, I, 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 I bent down to Lisa's face and I said, honey, I said, um, are you in pain? And she said, she just shook her head, no. And so then I said, um, what was the other question? I can't remember what the other question was. But I, I asked are her. You, are, are you happy to be alive? Oh, yeah. Are you happy? No, well, yeah. Um, and and I, got, I, got, I got this no, nod. I said no. I know, just chill out. You jump, you <laughs> I jump, said no. You jumped story on me. You remember she this. Jumped, she jumped story <laughs> on me. Uh, but, and, and she was heavily sedated. She can't remember that stuff. But either way. Um, uh, so, so I asked her this other question. She did nod yes. So it was appropriate responses. And the nurse says, I got to run, go get the doctor. The doctor came down and looked and said, wow. Okay. All right. So we know that she's, she's there. Now at that point, I didn't know if I'm dealing with a 10 year old or a 49 year old wife. You know, I didn't know what, what level she was, but at least we knew that she was mentally attacked. I was relieved in the sense that, hey, look, she if if we can get her where she's cognizant, she can help make these decision decisions uh, for us or with us too. Yeah. And so um, that was on October the 29th, October 30th, which was my birthday. She received a tracheostomy, which then extubated the tube that was down her throat. Then they were able to back off sedation enough for her to be awake. And so she really began to wake up um, decent there. The sedative still had to wear out of her system. So you're on a vent now. So you're awake after a month of being sedated and on a vent. Now you're awake and on a vent and you're on a, right? And you're on a vent in, for another almost 30 days, 25 days. Yeah. I remember waking up the day after the election and okay. that mm -hmm, a nurse said, we have a new president. And, you know, 
That one. No comment on that. <laughs> I just didn't know why I was there or what was going on. Oh, sure. And um, I remember as soon as they took the trach out, when did they take the trach out? That would have been the beginning of December. Well, all I know is when I woke up, I wanted to talk to my kids. And so, Jeff, thank goodness we have FaceTime. I FaceTimed the kids, but of course Jeff was with me and he had to do the talking. I FaceTimed the kids, I FaceTimed my brothers, I, I FaceTimed my mom and dad. And um, that's what I was thinking about is just saying hello to everybody. There were, there were lots of occasions. Once she woke up, the, just the levity, the, the joy of, hey, she's living and she's communicating. Yeah. Uh, at one point, she couldn't read. She didn't know what numbers were. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, so how do I do this? Because I was trying to get her to point letters and spell, and it frustrated her. And But I mean, as, as she's coming out of it, I'm like, praise God. He is, God has healed her. He has kept her alive. And as I was talking to doctor friends, I, I did eat. As, as we, all this was going on, I ended up having uh, three doctors, a PA, and two pharmacists that I would message almost every day about Lisa, and they were giving me input, and they were saying, this is a miracle. You know, this, Jeff, this is a miracle that, she, that she's survived this, and so um, I was thankful, and then even through that um I know of three marriages that were given greater strength out of this event uh, who, who said, Jeff, our marriages have changed because of what you and Lisa are going through. I know two, two people who recommitted their faith in Christ through it. And I've got one friend who wasn't a believer who uh, actually gave her life to Christ. So, um, God, God received the glory that I had prayed for um, as, as he revealed himself through this. And uh, we, 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 I watched people receive the same treatment and the same care of Lisa that did not survive. And their family members, I still pray with them to this day about their, their lost loved ones and their own grief. Uh, but I was, I was joyful. I, I was like a uh, like a teenager in love all over again just you know over the moon and then so finally the day comes which is this um at least is a, a video that will stick in my mind for a long time of of you walking out i think it's the video that's played on national television and all that stuff of of you lisa walking out of the hospital right to go to the rehab center right no, actually, that was the rehab center. Okay. Rehab center. And I spent three and a half weeks there. When I got there, I couldn't walk at all. Couldn't stand. And um, when I left and I'm walking out of there and the walker, that was just a goal of mine um, to walk out using a walker. Now, I don't use a walker or anything. I, I can walk. I'm a little wobbly, but I can walk. 
Yeah. Wow. It's interesting too. Um, when you're going through this, your race doesn't matter. Your politics doesn't matter. Your, your economic status does not matter. Everybody is there in that moment with their loved uh -huh. one. And they're in, we're all watching our loved one fight for their lives. And we're having to make all these difficult decisions. So while we may not have necessarily uh, bonded close together, there was a certain level of humanity mm -hmm. that was in that moment that the rest of the country was not experiencing as, as the election and everything was heating up. Uh, th that wasn't the case in COVID wards. In COVID wards, we're, we're a family, we're one. We're, we're people fighting this virus and we're begging uh, and appealing to God to care. And, and I watched loved ones of others pass away and, and saw the, 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 the fearful side of this and prayed with them fervently for their loved ones to be healed, um, even as we went through. And I would appeal even on my, in my, some of my updates, please, y'all pray for this person. They're having a hard time. So, yeah. And, and then the doctors and nurses a day in and day out, like you said, I mean, even their morale of constantly watching these people and families and you're, you're bringing a really good point too, because the uh, physicians and healthcare workers, the degree of, of stress they were under is, or are under is extremely intense. You have to imagine that you're, you're pouring your efforts and everything in to try to make sure that patient is getting the best care that you're aware of and you know, and then you're watching everything you're trying to give that patient mm. not come through like it's supposed to. And then that patient ends up passing away. And then you have to shut those clothes off, re-suit up and go into the next room and wear the brave face for that family. And wow. so there's a lot, I, I, it concerned me just from a, a pastor's heart, looking at these at these uh, these healthcare workers, knowing that their souls are carrying a weight that um, I don't know who's tending to that weight. Yeah. And I spoke to the administrators of the hospital and said, "Hey, look, honestly, the, these healthcare workers need a chaplain for themselves, mm -hmm. uh, just specifically for them to try to help them." cope and process with the amount of stress and grief they're, they're going to have. I fear we're going to lose a lot of healthcare workers uh, through this pan pandemic who are burned out or suffer P PTSD mm -hmm. because it is a very traumatic thing. And our healthcare workers, I would bring them donuts. I would bring them coffee. I would, I would try as often as I could to, to lift their spirits, but I would get Lisa's uh, phone out and I would uh, play praise music in her room uh, while she was in a coma. And the nurses would say to me, I'm so thankful you have that on. Going in this room and hearing this and, and just, just being a part of this moment of just a chance to praise God while I'm caring for your wife. So it was ministering to them too, in such a way that, um, that they received, you know, a, a blessing too. We had entered empty nest syndrome. I mean, that phase of life. And I just felt like, I, I felt like no one loved me. I felt like no one cared. I mean, Jeff, all he cared about was his business. 
the kids have their lives. And I used to feel like if I died, no one would care. It wouldn't matter. But I, what I woke up to, I realized I'm, I'm like the center of our family. And that has greatly helped my relationships with all of my family. Kind of to wrap this up, especially in, in this conversation that we've been having the last few weeks as a church, um, you know, wh- why not why not lose faith? I mean, why not look at this as, you know, the, the doctors just helped us get through and, you know, there's just some biology at work that we can't understand or something slash, you know, why even, why even have pandemics? I mean, there's that, just that age old question of like, you know, why even evil and, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of along those lines, but, you know, for you to personally, um, you know, why not lose faith? Or, you know, if, if Lisa would have been lost, would you have lost faith? And um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my response first. Um, I'm, we're the kind of family, and I, I know that everybody's not like this, and this is not judgmental, but we're the kind of family that even if, I had a dad, or even when something tragic happens, we just know that God has a reason and it's for the, it's for the good. I mean, it's for the better good. Um, I'm one of these that has the type of faith, like, like I said, childlike faith, I feel like. I mean, I don't want Jeff or the kids to pass, but if that were to happen, I wouldn't like blame or be angry at God. I just know that there's a reason. And if people are brought to Christ through that, well, that makes me happy. So, I mean, even though the pandemic is happening and all that, I just know there's, there's just, God's got some kind of, there's a reason. And, and that's, that's the faith I live. Well, if you're in the book of Numbers, it's all about counting things, right? <laughs> right? So some of it is. Count, yeah. count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings. And I would say that in this season, instead of us looking at the horrific and tragic part of this story, we've chosen to count our blessings. And our blessings have come, have floated to the top. Our blessings have come, they rush through. Again, even though I was on that roller coaster, white knuckled, scared to death, not knowing what was gonna take place, I, I did not flounder in my trust in, in, as a matter of fact, it drew me deeper into God's heart. I, I wanted to get deeper into that heart because I knew somehow through him, I had a connection with her, even when she was out. So um, in numbers, they counted their blessings. Well, thank you both um, so much for your time. Um, and uh, I know everybody else watching this, at least live, it's in the morning, but for us, it's 
very late at night, especially for you guys on the East Coast. Um, so I really appreciate that. Thank you for your story. Um, thank you for your, your faith um, that we get to celebrate it and share it. So thank you. All right. Hey, thank Taylor, you. thanks for the opportunity and God bless you and your church and all that you guys are going through. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lisa and Jeff, for sharing, and thank you for your faith. And I hope it helps all of us to appreciate the impacts of this pandemic a little bit more, but also the growth that we can have through the challenges of life. If you would join me in just a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for seeing us um, individually and collectively through this pandemic uh, as uh, it is not yet over. Um, we have months to go for sure, um, but that your um, love and grace has been prominent in our lives. It has been uh, a key foundation, a key cornerstone for Jeff and Lisa through their trials. And so, um, Lord, I just pray as we continue to move forward, all of us, uh, that we would remember um, the direction that you can bring us through the deserts of life and trust in that. In your name I pray. Amen. A couple of discussion questions, excuse me, um, for you to talk about after today. Um, where will you look for direction the next time you're in a desert? And I'm not talking specifically an actual desert, but you know, in the deserts of life. And what holds you back from looking to God in those deserts, in those challenging seasons of life? What holds you back?